Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez here with Angela McArdle, the head of the Libertarian Party of L.A. County and candidate for LNC chair nationally, the Libertarian National Convention chair. I'm super excited to pick her brain about that. But first, I feel like we need to set the stage a little bit, get a little backstory, learn a, bit, a little bit more about her for people who don't know her. I'm out in LA, so I'm familiar, but let's hit it. Thank you so much for being here, Angela. How are you doing and where you been? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I am home in Southern California right now, but I'll be heading to Washington this weekend. I just got back from, I can't keep track, Tennessee. I was in Tennessee. It was great. Um, all over the country all the time. For your libertarian activism, right? It's all, that's yeah. your main focus right now? Yeah, spreading the spreading the good word. And I'm going to a lot of libertarian party state conventions all across good. the country because I'm running for yeah. national chair. So I need to meet people and, you know, make sure I communicate my message and values to them that I hear their concerns and needs as well. Well, we were connecting because you hear our concerns and needs out here in LA with your ballot initiative to get the vaccine mandates revoked and replaced with nothing, correct? Absolutely, yes. So that's what How's I've been working going? on. Yeah, It's going really well. So today, city council had a vote to repeal the initiative. They're, they're not doing a straight repeal like repeal the ordinance. I'm sorry. They're not doing yeah. a straight repeal like my initiative, but they're basically saying that it'll be voluntary, which is essentially that it's gone. Oh, that's awesome. But here's yes. the thing. I have two questions about that. So that means that you would not actually have a referendum or whatever you call it. So we can right. still continue to collect signatures because the way that it works is I believe that the city of Los Angeles is still pretending that we're under an emergency, state of emergency, and they've still got a state of emergency in effect, uh, which oh, means okay. that they could put the ordinance back at any time. So okay. we, we are going to continue our due diligence and continue to collect signatures, at least until this thing is fully repealed on the books. And at okay. that point, at that point, we'll probably pivot and do a ballot initiative to repeal their emergency powers, grossly pull that back. And also make it so that they can't pass any sort of vaccine mandate unless they take it to a ballot. If I could make it literally never, I would do that. But I got to work within the framework of, you know, the legal system. So let me ask you two questions about that. One, so you can't do what Congress does and hollow out your initiative and use those same 65,000 signatures, right? You have to start over with the signatures? Yeah, I have to start over. But it's okay. not that it's not that bad though, right? Because I have everybody's information oh, collected. Yeah. So what right. I do is I just oh, basically yeah. mail a copy. Oh, Lord. I will help with that. I yeah. will help. Yeah. We'll I, I'm good at paperwork. <laughs> yeah. And then we we put in a self-addressed envelope to as many of them as we can afford. We, you know, we fundraise for that. It's very targeted. And I think that there's definitely an appetite for it. Like, so uh, I printed out the sheets to have signatures and I literally went through with the post-it and covered up the like, do not like, yeah. and I wrote it on there and I wrote it on span in Spanish. I'm like, nice. so I'm not great at going door to door, but I'm good at paperwork. So give yeah. me that and I will continue okay. that. And then um, also, I did kind of feel like I wanted it on the ballot. I want I, I want them to repeal it immediately, right? of course. But I kind of want, I'm, I'm almost afraid that they don't want it on the ballot because they don't want to show that it is not the will of the people because their argument is that more people want it than don't want it. Like they, they act like they're doing the will. And it's a little tricky to do it in the city 
where the people who live and shop and work aren't always the voters. And even the people who own the businesses there don't usually live there. Right. And it is wildly unpopular, even with people who are vaccinated. It's just it's a huge hassle for business owners. People are afraid about getting fined. They don't want to have confrontations in their businesses. They don't want business to be impacted. And it's generally bad vibes. Like th that's like a very simplistic way to put it. Yeah, You but want to go to this is what I see happening because I have three teens. You want to go to a concert or anything and you have to actually know the vaccination status of the people you are with. And if yep. God forbid somebody is unvaccinated, they kind of have to make an affirmative assertion. Like you guys could have problems with me. We have to take separate cars. Like I looked into it, you know, uh, who knows, maybe I can sneak in whatever. And it's just dividing lines are drawn to the point where they even started to look at it as people who like when the masks went voluntary here, cause I'm in LA County, but not in LA city. Yep. And the mass went voluntary people, especially kids, which I really tried to tell kids like, yeah, your mom's too strict, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. but they are so brainwashed and they have actually expressed that it's, it's a, it's a signal. It's just yeah. a signal now of your ideology. Absolutely. Like, dude, it's, you know, do some and, research on health issues. Like don't, don't sacrifice your health to your children, image. Children shouldn't be forced into ideological battles either. You should, <laughs> right. you should let kids be kids. They shouldn't be weaponized to show to all of your neighbors what a great sanctimonious, holy progressive you are. You should be able to just let your seven-year-old play like a normal child. And I haven't met any of the kids who are like super paranoid about the disease. They're more worried that their mom's going to see them or something right. like that. Absolutely. You get in trouble. So, okay. So you're, so you've been at this for a while. Like you're, yeah. you're a real experienced libertarian activist and you're spending a lot of time and effort and I'm sure your own money to do things that aren't, aren't, you know, they're not glorious. You're really not. You probably get more abuse than you get praise. And I know that you have ideological chops. I'm, I, I kind of am, you know, I've gone the full Rothbard. I'm now to yeah. the point where if you, you have no right to speak, if you can't grow a chicken and I can't grow a chicken. So, <laughs> you know, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm not, I'm out and I, I have no power. So I, I like, I, I flirt with the different pure ideologies, but of course I, I understand. I mean, Ron Paul is someone whose career and pursuit of Liberty, I respect a lot. And you have to, you have to respect, you have to give the, at least a hearing to the opinions of people who you respect if it yeah. differs from you. So Ron Paul went Republican. I mean, he's a Republican, you know, people get black for being libertarians instead of anarchists. So how do you on that, like that spectrum, uh, where, how did you come to decide to spend your time on the libertarian party? So I definitely fall more on the anarchist side than I do the classical liberal. And part of my adorable cat, I'm so sorry, is trying to knock off a glass of water it? right now. Okay, you just go I somewhere else. I, um, I view voting as sort of, I view voting as self-defense. So I'm not excited to vote. Voting is absolute drudgery to me, but in LA County, every year every election cycle there are a bunch of initiatives on the ballot to raise our taxes and 
it behooves me to go out and not get taxed to death. So I like to vote defensively. Uh, I'm also happy to vote for most libertarian candidates. I'm not someone who's so diehard. Like, like the party is a is an effective tool and, and vehicle for me. It is not a cult that I'm a part of where I have right. to pledge pledge allegiance to them no matter what, no matter if they put up Bill Weld or you know something like that. Um, yeah, I know what the heck. So you're running for libertarian chair? Yeah, Bill. Well, I mean, I, did everyone see this interview the morning that he was became the vice presidential candidate for the Libertarian Party, saying literally saying that he read the platform this morning and it looked pretty good to him. And I'm like, what? And he, this is a Republican governor of Massachusetts, which already shows you how Republican he really was. And he was right. a terrible Republican. And he was obviously clueless libertarian. And from what I understood that people there that, I don't know if this is inside baseball, I don't even remember who told me, but um, Gary Johnson just basically begged people to vote for him because what's nice about the libertarian process is that you get a different, you can vote for the VP separately. Yep. So and it's designed to avoid that. And I guess people were just diluted or maybe maybe somebody swapped the ballots iris do not well understand. yeah i mean and it depends right so there's like warring factions like if you think regular politics are exhausting oh my gosh <laughs> libertarian party inside baseball will just really? blow your mind oh it's terrible yeah. it's terrible it's because you know we have so little to win so we might as well fight like tooth and nail i have heard this but i kind of thought it was a joke no, it's not a joke. I think Judd Weiss put it best when he said the Libertarian Party was like a dog kennel where you put the worst dogs in the movement. You put your worst people. That's that's what I'm running for. I, oh, I hope come that on. I, that's my, sure. that's my, my stump speech. Join, not the worst. Join the dog kennel. Um, we're cleaning it up, though. We're cleaning it up. And Joe Jorgensen was our last presidential candidate. Now, she's not the most exciting lady. She had some kind of woke Marxist talking points. She yeah. definitely had a few. I did she, not vote for her. And I think yeah. I voted. I might she have not some, voted for anyone at that level. Oh, I write yeah. in Ron Paul. That's what I did. There you go. She had some fumbles, but leaps and bounds better than Bill Welt. So yes, definitely. we have moved the needle. And her running mate, Spike Cohen, also leaps and bounds better than, than Bill Weld. He's, you know, he seems right. to be pretty ideologically solid. Yeah. So... Now we're going to try to push even harder on the next one and get a, a presidential candidate that we can all be excited about instead of just being like, oh, OK, at least I'm not mortified, and horribly embarrassed. So what are the short term and long term goals of putting your energy into the Libertarian yeah. Party when right now it's a two party system? Yeah. So I'm very focused on local politics grassroots issues um, or grassroots campaigns, issue coalitions, things like that. So with the initiative in LA, and for anyone who's curious, you can find that out at medicalfreedomla.com, you will see that the branding is very politically neutral. Uh, our color scheme, it's like pink, gray, and yellow. There is no political party that I've found that uses those <laughs> colors. So it's not associated with Republicans. It's not associated with Democrats. Right. Everybody who cares can feel like welcome. And I use the Libertarian Party to make sure that I've got solid people running that initiative. So it's all controlled by LP members. Um, Who you know can, personally. Yes. We control right. the messaging. We control the narrative. We uh, 
decide what events we go to. You know, we're the ones answering the phone. We're the ones speaking out at city council meetings. So it's it's very libertarian focused, but it's very welcoming to other people. So you'll see the word liberty on there. You won't see the words libertarian party because it's technically supposed to be a nonpartisan political committee. There's all this like complicated legalese, but uh, it's very libertarian controlled. And that's really the sort of stuff that I'm interested in doing. Uh, Second Amendment rights, medical freedom. You know, there's not there's not a ton that I can do about inflation at the national level, at the local level. But we can try to fight against taxes. You know, one one other project that I'm very interested in doing in the future is lowering parking tickets, which in L.A., a lot of people who live paycheck to paycheck, dude, you're homeless if you get a parking ticket. You parked in a red zone or heaven forbid yeah. you get your car towed. You it's. It's a choice between getting your car out of impound or making rent. And that seems like a jobs program to me. Yeah. Like the, the, an example yep. was when I was in Atlanta, they put up red light cameras so that if you ran a red light, you got an automatic ticket. And it immediately stopped all red light running. Like 30 days later, there was none left. So they took the cameras down. <laughs> right. Or I should, I should say, I'm sure they're still up there for surveillance purposes, but the the response was we need to take them down because it lowered our revenue. Right. It's so gross. There's yeah. a guy in L.A. County named Jay Bieber who worked really hard to get rid of the city of L.A.'s red light cameras. And he also helped to eliminate a lot of them statewide. Because wow. We also and he succeeded. I mean, with Atlanta, yeah. I just I saw so many. Oh, yeah. I figured they were still there. Absolutely. So then let me. This is a, a thing, a problem I have, and it's just, it would have this hashtag, it will take a Republican, that it's, I, I have a little glossary, and one of my terms is the contrary rule of democracy, that you will get the thing that you fear the most only from your own side, because you would never let the other guy do it. So right. it will take a Republican to take your guns. It will take a Republican. Yeah. So it took a Republican to to enact what I consider to be an abomination against math in not allowing state and local taxes to be deducted from the federal taxes. I mean, it even in, I, even in my economics classes in college, which were, I, I'm almost I embarrassed to say I went to Harvard, where they, you know, like they're not teaching you libertarian economics. They're like, okay, even countries who exist in a state of anarchy actually have laws to reconcile where you're paying your taxes. No, nobody says, well, we pay, charge 50% taxes and so do we. And it's a cumulative and it's really a killer in LA. But my problem with it is I said, look, Republicans, you think, and this was something that really bothered me about Trump was that uh, you would get people thinking pragmatically, you know, or angrily. Okay. So they would say, well, that just punishes people in LA and, and New York. And I'm like, that's not what this is about. As soon as they have power. So if you take away, if you make basically double the cost of their local taxes, they're going to bring welfare to the federal level. All these annoying little programs that they have in their own states that they're paying for with their 13% tax rates, their 13% tax rates now is 26% effectively. They're moving that stuff to Washington and then you yes. have no more control. And yes. I feel like this bankrupting of L.A. and New York by pushing everybody out with these draconian rules. Part of that is going to be a great reset, which includes, OK, well, we're we can't afford these social programs anymore. We have to go get federal money for it and we're going to get the votes 
in Congress to do that. That that I, I just feel like we're being disempowered locally. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are. Uh, it's one of the reasons people ask me all the time, why stay in L.A.? Why haven't you left yet? Why haven't you left yet? People ask the same thing about activists in New York. It, one of the reasons that it's important to make a last stand here is because it affects people everywhere else. And it does have a major impact on what happens at the federal level. Uh, you know, like, heaven forbid something happens and there's a federal disaster in the middle of the country in a rural area. That's terrible, but it does not signal. It's not such an opportunity for a power grab and to dramatically move money around because Kansas, Nebraska, those areas don't present the same sort of opportunities for political elites that the city of L.A. does. So it is really important for us to at least attempt to try to stave off the tyrannical hellscape that is kind of closing in on us right now. And it absolutely spreads. So I yes. used to be a smoker and I lived, I'm from New York. I lived in New York. I waitressed, whatever. Then I went to LA, I guess for school and, or California. And there were just Nazis about the smoking. When I went back to New York for my summer jobs, I don't know when it happened, but it happened. They passed all these laws. I think Giuliani started it and um, Bloomberg finished it and they had to make them health regulations because they couldn't pass legislatively yeah. at all. And then they did the thing that they had to do, which is when I had to stop doing it, is they made the bar owners responsible. Yes. So I say, like, who cares? It's your bar. What You don't care if I smoke. Let let call a cop, right. you know, and they'd be right. like, well, if somebody calls a cop, I have a $250 ticket. And same thing in the subway. People would come up to me and say, hey, honey, I'm just trying to save you $250. Like all these bums you see uh, drink and ripple, they're cops. <laughs> it's like, oh, and it's like <laughs> we can't go the, the easier compromise route of having a smoking section. That's not good enough. Like, Oh, it, oh, I got to tell you. The one place in New York that had a smoking section left, my husband found it for me, it took me on my birthday. The waitress came up and said, oh, you know whose table, who normally sits here is the mayor. Oh, I was good. Like, you got to be kidding me. kidding. No, he smoked cigars. It was Giuliani. He smoked cigars. I was like, okay. So that's where, that's what this has come. I got super pissed, of course. But. Yeah, of course. Rule, rules for thee, but not for me. That's always the way that it goes. Just like Newsom without his mask. And, you know, it's just always rules for the lowly little people. Yes, exactly. So um, with, in your, do you mind telling a little bit about your personal experiences sure. in this, in this struggle? Like I, for one, I get a little intimidated when people come at me, maybe not anymore because I have had my experiences, but I feel like if you're going to get involved in politics, you're going to stand for your ideology. You have to be absolutely positively prepared, especially if you ever run into people who are in the opposition or against you for some reason, you kind of have to know their arguments better than your own, be a little tough, know how to, you know, uh, dance a little bit, think yeah. on your feet. Can you say like maybe a couple of pivotal moments you've had and kind of what your philosophy of that is yeah. just for my so, personal benefit? So, so there were a couple of things that were really significant in my political journey. And one was in 2013, the city of Los Angeles tried to enforce a ban prohibiting it's called food sharing and public rights of way. What that means is uh, feeding homeless people. And I worked with a couple of grassroots groups at the time, Monday Night Mission, which is a, a political group full of people on the left, right, church ladies, you know, and comms, whatever. And we just fed people in downtown LA hot food and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches five nights a week. 
So I would go down on Mondays. That was always my day. And on Sundays, I worked with Food Not Bombs, which is a left-leaning anarchist group. And when we found out about this thing. What was thing, that called? Food what? Food Not Bombs. Food Not Bombs. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Founded by Keith McHenry in, a, in opposition to the nuclear arms race back in the yeah. 80s, I think. Great. Yeah. It's a very interesting organization. Um, so we got together. And very rapidly, in about eight days, we put together a huge protest against this thing in front of the city council member's office on Hollywood and Vine. He has since been removed from office for corruption. Big, big shock. That happens every couple of years. <laughs> and uh, it was really empowering because we won. They tabled the motion and they decided not to pursue it. We had 750 people down at the protest. It was a huge deal. All kinds of different issue coalition grassroots groups were down there. But one of the things that I did in preparation is that I walked up and down Hollywood Boulevard and I passed out over 100 flyers to every single business on the Hollywood Boulevard. Every single one. I went in and had face-to-face -face conversations. And there were over 100 businesses that I spoke to. There were 80-something businesses where I had an actual conversation. I had a clip and clipboard and marked it all down. There were only three people, three people who thought that the band was good. Um, but I had really, to really, these are, these are businesses that might have been affected by yes. what was yes. happening. Wow. Yeah. Uh, good but, on them. Yeah. But they were really grossed out, right? Like everybody was like, look, homeless people on Hollywood Boulevard, it's a problem, but telling yeah, you problem. that you can't share food with them in Skid Row yeah. or on this, that's insane. So. I and I to, almost wonder because they enact policies, or I certainly feel more and more that they do now that I saw Austin sent people to LA yeah. and San Francisco to import the homeless problem, oh, which obviously was a policy decision. And then, but what they want is to make sure that it's painful. Yes. So they don't actually want people to just deal with it like a community to right. feed them say, okay, you can make your things. It doesn't make me not a compassionate human being. I mean, these are human beings, you know, who need yeah. some dignity and food, more importantly. Uh, so I feel like they want you not to do that because they want to actually make sure it's an acute problem that can only be solved by them. Correct. Because they want the solution to be a government solution. And yeah. this was a community solution. And they let, I think they literally uh, create the problem on purpose, not yes. just, you know, government yes. creates problems and then gives solutions. It's like, no, they create problems on purpose and then give you solutions. Yeah, it's, it's job security, for. you know. And for them, yeah. they're up in their, their cubicle in their ivory tower, you know, sort of navel gazing and thinking about policy. They don't think about how it impacts real people's lives. Uh, and if they do, they certainly don't care. And they don't it's, give much thought. It has to be two things. They, I, well, I don't know. I feel like they feel insulated from any possible yes. uh, impact. And and that and then if you take out any kind of underlying um, humanity or morals, that's all. I, I mean, if you're just consequence based, which may be like what politics really brings forward, are people who just don't have consciences. You know, it's possible that what, one there have been studies that people who are high in politics do have like more of a um, like sociopathic or pat not you know, not libertarians, but because <laughs> they have no power. Politicians. People have no really power. Yeah. It's, it's, so, uh, but the, yeah. I don't know if it's cause or effect though. I don't know if it's the power right. that them or if it's that they pursue it. But there's a correlation. There's definitely a correlation. 
So this was a coalition effort. Do you feel like coalitions are still possible? I feel like oh, we're being think, polarized on the dumbest no, I stuff. Think it's the, I think it's the future of politics. So here's my theory on this, right? I think that politics are going the same way that you've seen a lot of other things go. Music, uh, entertainment, uh, like, like television and, and media, like that, news, legacy news. What else is broken apart? Uh, intellectual property to a certain extent when it comes to music. So these things like with the, with the advent of Napster, you, you saw this giant industry get disrupted and blown apart and slowly sort of reconsolidate itself, but in a way that is more decentralized and accessible to human beings. Uh, so the consumer has more choice. So we can now go online and we can download a single from whether it's iTunes or Amazon or whatever. We don't have to buy the entire album. We get what we want. And then you saw the same thing happen with, um, with television and cable. And I never thought that HBO would be able to get out of it. So a horrible incestuous relationship with cable broadcast, but they did. And that really signified the fact that you can get HBO on its own now. Like you still, if you wanna get everything like you had it on cable in the nineties, it's still gonna cost you over $60 a month. But you okay, can- so I'm getting that, but how okay, is that? Then, I can't get the- Okay, so I information going, But I just yeah. can't figure it. So now politics, we have the two-party system, and I can't stand, ugh, even use, I'm triggered by my own phrase, phraseology on this, because when I hear libertarians use talking points like smash the duopoly, it makes me die <laughs> on the inside, because it sounds so unrelatable, and like nothing anyone cares about. But we'll take that feeling and set it aside. Okay. Um, people are dissatisfied with the two major parties, and that doesn't mean that they want another third legacy party. What it means is that they want more choice and they want to be choosy about what they get. So there are people who are going to be like, you know, I like libertarians, but I also like Andrew Yang. They're not totally bought into us ideologically. That's not where I'm going with this. They want what they want. And so they're going to be, they're like, a lot of people are into populist movements. And so they're going to pick off certain elements of the GOP that they like. They might hate Mitch McConnell. They might also have contempt for Donald Trump but they like some of the other people, you know, they hate Liz Cheney, but they do like Donald Trump. And then you see <laughs> a Republican. They didn't. Right. I think I saw the end of this movie already, but okay. But there are people who, for example, and this is, this is what I encounter very frequently when I work with parents groups. So I work with a lot of parents groups that are pushing back against um, COVID mandates, masks and school. The, the most common demographic is people who voted for Obama and then they voted for Trump. They're more into like populist kind of feel good movements that make them feel empowered. They don't care so much about party. And this is where you can come in and capitalize on that and work with them on single issue coalitions because they're not diehard about parties. They like ideas and I want to present good ideas. So I want these people to work with me. Do I, would I prefer them to be, you know, Rothbardian libertarians? Well, yeah, but I may never get there and that's okay. I'd much rather have them vote down the things that I think are sucky and become hardcore skeptics of government and, you know, try to take as many things apart as we can at the local level. And I think so, that that's what's happening in the political sphere across the country. Okay. So I have a couple of things coming yes. out of that is, so what you're saying reminds me of, I talked to Tho Bishop and he so one of the questions I was going to ask you is Mises Caucus or Mises Institute, but I've seen Mises Caucus next to your name, but oh, yeah. I, but that, that idea, and I think Pete Q also, they're convincing me that it's, 
I mean, convincing me to even be engaged at all in, in mm-hmm. any kind of political thing, but that that's how you do it. Because I did conclude that if you go through the kind of continuum of anarchism to agorism to actually going and living among the chickens, that yeah. you have to, you have to have guns, you have to have rain barrels, you have to have that stuff, which means that you have to go to the town hall meetings. Like you have to, because you need to be aware when they're going to come take those things away from you. You've got to stay ahead of it. And that's how I was kind of convinced that this idea of probably more likely to be able to get a Republican to be on your side on some of these issues. But I mean, I think libertarians, you know, you've got the welfare state and the warfare state, those two parties, and libertarian is the opposite of both of them. So I think theoretically you should be able to really pick and choose no matter what. Right. But is so the single issue coalition, do you kind of follow that model or are you you're like where you'll hijack a guy or co-opt a guy or more like the one that was successful or anything goes? The one that you like took 750 people and you pressured the one guy or like because I feel like what Tho does is he'll go talk to a candidate or mm-hmm. um, uh, somebody in office and say, hey, we need this issue. Let's. Uh, let's let's talk about this and get you some support on this. So I think that it's anything goes. And I think you need to be very strategically minded. So in a place where everybody is a Republican, then you can go and you can lobby your representatives and you could probably do that much more effectively. But in California, we're stuck with progressives and democracy. It's not real democracy, even though I don't like real democracy. I think that would probably <laughs> be slightly better than yes. whatever the hell it is we've got. But it is what it is, right? And so you've got to sort of lean into that to a certain extent so that you can retake control of the narrative. And that's what we did with the initiative because we dominated local news for a solid week. And that's that's unprecedented. Like you don't do that as a libertarian and you certainly don't get good press. Like we actually got good press on every major news channel. That's crazy. Well, that is amazing. And it makes me think that... You know, I'm just, I don't know enough people or I'm not getting out enough because in my little corner of the world, people are just uh, extremely conforming to whatever is put in their basket. So I I think of that with like Hillary Clinton's basket of deplorables. You can put put all the people in the basket and then you put the ideas in the basket that you want to attribute to those people you want them to identify with. And I feel like there's just these, there's like one big liberal basket here. I don't want to call it liberal. It's really more than that. It's really a totalitarian thing. It's a control thing. It's something else. And I feel like there isn't, I'm surprised that you can find a coalition of the, you know, people who can still think yes. from different parties here. It is, it has been shocking, but it's been one of a, it's been a, you don't know till you try kind of experience. Yeah. Because what my experience has been is that I have had an outpouring of support from people who are what I call ex-progressives now, heretical left, like people who have been cast out for yes. being a pro-free speech or anti-mandate, anti-lockdown. Or my choice, my body, my choice. You know, the crunchy yeah. granolas were the ones who were anti-vaxxers yeah. in the day. And that has been typically a very California thing. Yeah. So I have gotten a lot of very emotional phone calls from people who are not libertarian. And they told me, you know, I, I'm not libertarian. I'm, I'm not going to claim to be, but here on out, I'm a single issue voter. And so if libertarians are the only ones who are going to stand up for my rights, then I'm going to vote libertarian. That's, and it's, it's, I didn't yeah. expect that, you know, I, I didn't and expect that's it. a great choice because 
if you're a libertarian, this is the thing that really drove me crazy when people like, I hate libertarians. Like, yeah. dude, if you have to have a center, don't, don't pick the welfare warfare no. center, no. pick the neither center, because yeah. then you don't have to impose your will on other people. And we still have states like you can do all your state. Of course, this is a more local thing, but yeah. when it gets to the national level like that, really, it's um, it's this impulse for control that I, I don't know what it's born of, but it makes me nervous. It's yeah. just spreading. Yes. So the initiative, doing it under the libertarian banner, you know, it's, it's been really great for a couple of reasons. Uh, it's given people something to coalesce around. It's educated people. And whenever people want to learn something, you know, I tell them, go study. Like if they want to learn grassroots movements, I say, go, go learn about Ron Paul from 2008 and his 2012 campaign. So now they, they have something to educate themselves on and appealing them away and normalizing the unpopularity of major political parties and institutions because they're seeing us emerge as a leader like we care and we're not winning and we're not very invested in other ways but that's okay all of a sudden they're like oh i don't actually have to root for whoever's winning even if they're morally bankrupt uh murderers <laughs> i don't actually have to align myself to that because that yes. doesn't matter i could just be me so we're well, kind of breaking the whole thing apart and I'm happy your, to watch it all burn to the ground. Yeah, I do too. And your idea of having voting as a measure of self-defense, I agree that the local stuff, the real yeah. um on the scene, it's see, I'm not saying that the votes are properly counted or that they're legit. Right. I mean, it's I think I went, I think when I went to vote, I think they asked me my name and had like a big long list and just checked off my name. And I and I said, Well, is this my voting place? And I said, It doesn't matter. And I said, Well, if it doesn't matter, is my name on other lists in other places where someone else could go say my name and you could have 10 votes? And they said, yeah, but if we get a lot of votes on the same name, at the end of the day, we flag that. <laughs> I was what like, but how do you mean? know which one is mine? Yeah, what's a flag? You're just going to eliminate them all. Like, what are you right. talking about? What does a flag do? It's the craziest thing. So I can't say that the, that the votes are legit. However there does seem to be some correlation with, you know, polling and yeah. what the outcomes on like the referenda and the real local stuff. The one that I was most concerned about was the DA here. There was oh. a guy, it got, no, but the, no, the, the woman who was before him, who was a super liberal and I was, um, yes. So, uh, she was a black woman. So I thought she might have been more um, assertive on the death of Anthony McLean. I don't know if anyone's even heard of this. He was a guy in Pasadena. He, somebody got stopped for a traffic stop. He was in the passenger seat. I'm sure he just had weed on him. And so he took off. Cop shot him twice in the back. And I think planted the gun. Right. And there was really, cause I, cause within 72 hours and they have to release all the video footage. So his, his camera was cut was off. You know, so in yeah. my opinion, if the cop's camera is off, he should be liable for the crime. Like then yeah. he has no defense, right? Yeah. So, so it looked totally, so she let that slide and I, everything, she was the only one I wanted to vote out. And then I saw that Gascon was um, endorsed by Newsom. And I was like, wow, I have to vote for that chick <laughs> because- right. Right. That guy must be stopped. And I was right. And it was solely because of you, Newsom's alliance. I was like, Newsom is evil. It's it's really, it's and, and Gascon is an absolute nightmare. I mean, property crime and violent crime has, has skyrocketed because he's not prosecuting that. But, but 
<laughs> at the same time, all the people who were ex so excited to vote for him were also very excited to call and report small business owners to the police for violating lockdowns and vaccine mandates. Oh so it's God. a fascinating Venn diagram. I'm not really sure how that works ideologically, but that's well, here's what it is. Here's a thing that's very libertarian, and this is why I never take any criminal justice reform seriously. You can say no bail, no jail for anything that isn't a crime against persons or property. Mm -hmm. How hard is that? That would completely empty out the legal system. The, the jails would be empty. The courts would be empty. There'd be no stress. And you could go back to simple laws. And I feel like a way to get that done would be to have no plea bargains, which yes. is something I wanted to ask you about. No plea bargains, because the plea bargains give them all this extra capacity to have more crime. And as a libertarian, I want to say, well, the concept of inalienable rights doesn't even make sense because you should be able to sell your rights to somebody. But it's such a moral hazard for the government to have that power. And I just, how do you, how, how do you walk the line between real ideology like that and I mean, it's just impossible to, to give the government that power in violation of kind of the deal we made with the Bill of Rights. I, I just can't I can't live with it. But it it tweaks me a little libertarian wise to say you don't have the right to give it away. So I think there should always be a choice. And and part of that means that we have to recognize that some people are going to always make crappy choices. And one of those crappy choices that you can make is a plea bargain. And I, I, I've known people and I have seen people take plea bargains when I'm like, you no, no, go, you know, go to court and fight this. This is insane, but they get afraid. And you would know because you've experienced yes. in the legal system. Yes. And uh, the thing that really shocked me and, and red pilled me on plea bargains was I was in paralegal school. I went to the UCLA paralegal school, which is the best one that you can go to in the state. Maybe it's probably better the than the law school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I went to law school and you really don't, you, you don't you really learn, learn how, how to be an law. activist Supreme Court justice. Yeah. <laughs> you don't learn how to practice law. In paralegal school, ironically, you learn how to practice yeah. law. So um, I had a criminal law teacher and he had worked for the city of LA for a long time. He was definitely one of the only uh, more conservative people who, were, who was teaching a class. And he really shocked everyone by saying, when everybody was complaining about plea bargains and they were expressing their frustration on the students, he said, but look, you don't understand. The system is overcrowded. The plea bargain system is designed to fix that because it captures innocent people. And that way it unclogs the system. So then less people go to court. And that just blew my mind. Like he was like, yes, it's designed so that innocent people serve time wow. to get them out of the way. Oh my gosh. And everybody was very upset <laughs> and wow. he couldn't understand why it the makes entire perfect class... sense. Yeah. I mean, you know, you want a perfect example of that. Did you ever see the, the documentary, AKA Tommy Chung? Yeah. He got, he went to jail yeah. for a crime. He wasn't even accused of. Yes. Remember he wasn't accused of it. His wife and son were tricked into selling a beautiful, a box of beautiful glass blown bongs, artistic bonds, uh, completely entrapped is awful. Watch it. AKA Tommy Chong. And they made Tommy Chong an offer. He could go to jail for them. And in the court documents, it said that Tommy Chong is someone who ridiculed and mocked law enforcement in film. So he yeah. went to jail for his movies. And I just thought, I mean, that's a perfect example of what you're talking about. It's not, not even somebody who is falsely accused. Somebody wasn't even accused. Yeah. And he took a plea because they, they said, we're going to put your wife and child in jail for 90 years. 
And Lori Lachlan, same thing. She, you probably aren't familiar with the case because people don't really focus on it, but she was absolutely innocent, which is why she was fighting it all the way. I just read the FBI affidavit and it's completely absurd to send someone to jail over cheating on a college test anyway. She didn't even do that. She didn't even do that. She was tricked into giving this guy money for a scholarship fund instead of giving it to USC directly. But they, so in the, in the final hour when she was going to fight it, they said, we're going to, we're going to put you in jail for 40 years, not a year and a half, like everybody else. And she still was fighting it. I don't know. And then I think they threatened her kids. So yeah. And that's where they get you. Yeah. And that's the scary thing about politics too, is, you know, like, you know, I'm not a Donald Trump fan. I don't, I don't like Donald Trump. But uh, sometimes I wonder, like, you know, he made all these promises. They all do, right? Like, what happens once you get into office? Are people threatening your children if you don't vote a certain way or appoint people? It's a very frightening, frightening political world to to really dive into. They, um, the Russian, I think it was the, I love this guy, Sergei Lavrov. He's the Russian foreign ambassador. He's just like old school statesman. Like, I like him. He's uh, no nonsense, let's just say. And I think it was he who was saying, or maybe it was the ambassador to the UN saying there were all these people voted for, I don't know what, Russian sanctions or to condemn them. And he said, these are actual ambassadors living in New York whose kids go to school and they were got threatening phone calls, which I absolutely believe. Now, I'm not asking you to opine on the Russian thing because it takes a lot of research to know what's really going on there. But you can pretty much count on the opposite of absolutely everything you're hearing the mainstream right. is the tip. Right. <laughs> right. And, I, and I think that threatening people's families is probably a, a tactic that's used all the time. And since we're not higher ups in office, you know, we don't necessarily experience it. No, I worry. I, you know, you, when I was on the radio and used to say I had a terrestrial radio show in Atlanta and I used to say stuff that I know people didn't like. And I, and I was just, I used to say out loud all the time, Hey, just fire me. Like I won't put up a fight. Like, don't, don't worry about it. And I did get fired when, as soon as I started talking about event 201 in the backyard of the CDC, which is in Atlanta in February, 2020, they didn't tell me that was why, but could have been anyway. So I just, uh, but I was like, fine, I I gotcha. No problem. Because it's, you know, you're really not going to win. And I think of, you know, I always suspected that Anthony Bourdain was. Oh, totally. Yeah. Something weird. Something weird happened there with that girlfriend. There yes. Was something weird. Yes. Something there was some weird. sketchy stuff. Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, so, so I've gotten plenty of death threats, but. Have honestly, you really? Yeah. But, but let me unpack that. It's, it's not as bad as it sounds because I got a lot of death threats during the lockdowns when I was organizing protests against that and speakeasies and all this stuff. But then you go to look at someone's Facebook profile who sent you a message saying they're going to kill you. And they're like, staying home, terrified of the virus. Yeah. And I'm like, you're, you're not even leaving your house. You're not going to Yes, me. right. Like, whatever. Right. right. But it's, I don't like having that in the air. That's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's politically acceptable now to dehumanize, you know, and wish death upon your political enemies. Well, depending on which side they're on. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not a good, so, not a good thing. So, but with, regarding specifically, let's take an example, the plea bargain. So you would, <clears throat> your approach, may I ask, would not be to take the right away from the person, but <clears throat> to maybe hamstring the process a little bit on the government side? Yeah. And I'd be very open. I, I feel like, you know, we have Miranda rights. I think we need rights that are read when you go into a plea bargain. This is the statistical number of people who are sentenced to prison 
because they've taken a plea bargain who still claim their innocence. This is, this, this is how long your case would be. This is how much it would cost on average. This is the success rate of public defenders and da, 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 da. You have a right to a plea bargain and you have a right to refuse. Something along those lines. And people I need would to be also, educated. I think people need to be educated on jury nullification, which yes. if I understand correctly, I've, I've checked and double checked this, juries, you're not allowed to instruct a jury that they have the right to to let a person go, Correct. even if they believe that the prosecution has proved its case, if they don't agree that it's a just law. Correct. And there is California case law that sets the precedent that says you're not allowed to do that. However, it is not illegal. So it's interesting, right? It's not illegal for oh. someone to inform a jury, but it is illegal is it a at a civil level. It is grounds for a mistrial. It is illegal at the, in civil law, for the attorney to perpetuate that, but someone outside can do that. But you can't do it once they're already in the jury box because then it's jury tampering. There's a lot of gray areas here. I feel like taking out a billboard that just says yes. jury nullification, Google it. <laughs> yes, I've, I've flyered it. I have flyered in front of Stanley Moss Courthouse before, but I do it, I do it late at night because yeah. the cops, yeah. they don't know. And so they will, they will arrest you and harass you if you do that in daylight in front of the courthouse. Really? Yeah. Man, maybe that should be like my cause celeb. Yeah. I like to, do, I, I like to take a, take a lesson from the left on this with direct action. Like I'm not burning down buildings, but I'll get, I'll get really aggressive in my activism and I have no regard for government property. No, we're regard. not going Kaczynski, but not going Kaczynski. Nice I have a lot of, I have a lot of respect for the intrinsic, <laughs> the precious intrinsic uh, value of human life. But I don't have a lot of respect for government institutions, government buildings. You know, like I'm not offended when I see graffiti on a government building, for example. Right. Excellent point. But yes, I do agree that the fundamental respect for human life is probably the building block that they had to pull out to yeah. let this entire society go away. Yeah. And my mother always did say that. She said, that's a culture of death. We have a culture of death in this country. Yeah. And she just thought, she's like the two worst things she thought that really changed the culture in the country is when, when teachers unionized. She's like, yes. that is not the right example for kids. And this was in the 50s or whenever it happened. She was act, you know, she that activated her. And then Roe versus Wade was the other thing that she still prays in front of the places. Yeah. So, um, but actually she prays in front of the Planned Parenthoods in her county, and there are none left. Oh, that's really fascinating. That's yeah. really good activism. So yeah, so when I cross the I, street, yeah, and when they I, offer help. When I engage in like intense political activism like that. I, the, the metric that I always use is, does this push us closer to like respecting and revering human life or discarding it and, and casting it away in an act of violence? So that's kind of how I measure what I do when I'm really kind of towing that line. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So I, I, I almost, you know, I'm not sure, but I would have looked into the stories of people bombing abortion clinics, mm -hmm. you know, because it seems counterintuitive. Right. And, uh, but she had a funny one where she, the cop, went to, I guess she, she always stays off the property, across the street. Even yeah. when she got old, she'd bring a little chair and people got her fingerless gloves so she could say the rosary. And I guess one time she was like on the wrong side of the property line. Uh, she didn't know that. So the cop came to arrest her and she said, oh, I'm not one of the ones who gets arrested. And he was uh -huh. like, 
You That's are adorable. today. That's <laughs> yeah. adorable. Oh, yes, you are today. So she didn't want to bother anybody. I guess it was, I don't know if it was late at night or what. She didn't want to bother anybody. She comes in at six o'clock in the morning. Everybody's sitting around in the living room waiting for her. Like, we're hysterical. Where's mom? But nobody calls the cops in my house. Or nobody even called the police. They said, oh, right. I was in the... I was in the lockup, but you know, they gave me coffee. It was kind of fun. Oh my you gosh. know, a lot of the people were there. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yeah, I bet she picked yeah. up some new new language, new terms from her new friends. <laughs> she it was it. <laughs> exactly. She was very effective though. I mean, that was tr the truth that they I mean, she probably did it for 30 years. And um, That's you know, eventually they got each one of them. And of course they just moved to other counties, but what do you you know? Right. What are you going to do? Yeah. I just, I just felt it was a, a good example of like perseverance and, um, you know, and stemming it, a tide. And it's, and it's, it's a positive thing. It's not, that's not negative. That's not angry. I don't think. And that it's that not makes, about the laws. Right. It's not about the laws. It doesn't even, it's not intimidating in, the, in a violent way to the women across the street, you know, and I'm sure that yeah. some of them feel guilt or shame and they, things like that. But that's part of the human condition. I mean, you can feel that about Well, and they numbers. were there. They were there to help. Like they if you right. cross that if you cross the street, they were going to take care of you. Yeah. Like and that was that. So that was a big part of what it was. So I, I thought yeah. that was um you know, a, a lesson so if you say like out here if you're like, "Oh, my mother was a political activist since the 50s," you know. <laughs> That is, that's pretty interesting. No one wants to hear the details. <laughs> it's a pretty cool mom, though. It's a pretty cool mom. So, um, so what do you, what do you think about what, you know, are we coming out of this lockdown thing? Do you think there's a, another wave? What do you think is the legacy of the precedents that we've established here? Oh, I think that the precedents that we've established is that the government can do almost what, anything that it wants, yeah. anything it wants. And people are going to either cower in fear or bow down and obediently worship and praise it. It's, it's a horrifying precedent. I think I try to think of, you know, a silver lining to every cloud, which is that there's also been at the same time, a great awakening. And even if that doesn't mean that everybody's like joining the libertarian party with me, like people are valuing their bodies, becoming aware of what goes into them. And like, they're bothered. They're, they're awake and paying attention to what government does, even at a local level. Because usually it's just every four years, oh, check a box. I'm mad at that guy. I like this guy. But now we're paying attention to what's happening in our cities and towns. And I think that's good. Yeah, I, I started saying that the remnant has become self-aware. Yes, yes. So I, just, I feel like the remnant, they didn't even know who they were when they thought they liked Trump or whatever. And now they know. But I, I was heartened that <clears throat> it did demonstrate the power of the local the, now I, I feel like it's going to be, it's going to attract people to want to stop allowing the differences from locale to locale. That that's a problem. Yep. It could be a problem waiting for a solution. But I did like that places like Florida had a good result from kind of enacting different policies. And you know, a lot of people like that. A lot of people are going to feel like. Uh, empowered by that. I thought that was a silver lining. Yeah. And Montana, Montana straight up outlawed vaccine mandates, even for private companies. They took a very strong stance against it. Right. Mixed, mixed feels in the yeah, libertarian right. crowd about that. Um, but they definitely made themselves their position known. I believe Wyoming did the same thing. And there've been a handful of other States that have at least presented legislation. I don't know if it's made it through committee. 
So that's been kind of interesting. Um, Central California, nothing like Southern California. And they have had, there was one city that they passed a non-binding resolution saying that they were their own constitutional republic. There's been all kinds of weird little <laughs> things come out. And resolutions against Newsom. There's a school board that I've been working with the parents. It's, I think it's East Whittier School District. And they convinced their school board to write a letter to Newsom saying that they didn't want to enforce mandates. Now, I know it's just a letter, but to get a school board in L.A. Yeah. County to do that, that's wild. Well, that's wild. Yes, I was shocked when um, my my kids go to three different schools, but uh, the public school that one of them goes to, <clears throat> I mean, I almost don't want to out them because, right. you know, I but they wrote a letter saying, I guess the parents were just keeping the kids home out of yeah. protest just yeah. for when Newsom said he was going to make a mandate like in January. And they wrote and they said, anyone who has a, you know, a, a clearly expressed and genuine, you know, uh, religious or medical exemption will be granted. Yeah. And I mean, I have a seven page letter about my religious objections with quotes from the like Council of Cardinals and stuff, even yeah. though the Pope cut and ran. Well, actually, he ushered this entire thing. In. Yeah. I mean, terrible. If you you could see the cost benefit analysis of covid policies from governments to think of the damage that Frank did. I can't even. Boy. Not, I'm I not impressed. Like yeah, that's just a, <laughs> another black stain on his record as far as I'm concerned. I mean, but he he closed churches. And I mean, yeah. for me, no, what, what Catholic, much less priest, much less Pope would think that when the world is afraid of mass death, you deny them the sacraments. <laughs> You know what I mean? Jesus, yeah, dude. Gotten COVID on purpose and lined up at the confessional and been like, I got like two days left. I'm going straight to heaven. You know? there, there was a Baptist church in Pasadena on Colorado Boulevard or on Marengo, somewhere over there. They yeah. had a big old billboard that said, what would Jesus do? He would wash his hands. No, no. Jesus put his hands on lepers. I don't want to hear about <laughs> he how Jesus other would. other people's feet. Yeah, how he would use hand sanitizer. So it's that, that man. That'll that'll really drive you crazy because hand sanitizer is bad for you. It is bad for you. you Never know, touch receipts chemicals. after you touch hand sanitizer. It helps you absorb toxins. It's bad. Never never touch what after receipts. You receipt receipts? paper that has BPA in it. Oh my god. Yeah. You sanitize yeah. your hands at the store and then you grab your receipt and you're just soaking it all up. It's gross. No, that's that's a problem. So I have like health objections to all of this stuff, to the vaccine, yeah. to the masks, to hand sanitizer, to overwashing your hands, to uh, disinfecting everything all the time. I have medical, like health objections to it. And I don't tell people I hope they die I for, know, right? you know, I just, yeah, I, I have, I, I hear you. Cause I've, I've Crohn's disease, so I can't get shots. I can't, you know, but now they'll say, Oh, the science has changed and we're unsure. Really? Mm. Because, because for the past five years, you've told me never get any vaccination live or dead under any circumstances. It'll cause a cytokine storm oh my and kill gosh. you. But now it's, well, we don't know. Oh, so I'll be the guinea pig so that you can feel politically expedient. Well, Get away from me. 
I don't, I wouldn't even say it's a guinea pig because they're not waiting for the outcome. If something did happen to you, it would be because you had Crohn's disease. Right, right. I mean, that's, that's what's so sick about this. I mean, it's quite sinister. Do you have any kind of deep, dark thoughts about, about what forces are work are at work, natural or otherwise that, that drive everything in that direction? It just seems like the forces all pull evil. Yeah. So I think that it is a really intense desire for control. And I don't think that it, I think it manifests in a very evil way. I don't think that people sit around a table uh, like uh, an episode of the Simpsons or, you know, like Dr. (laughs) Claw and wring their hands and think about how they can torment us. But I I think that the mindset is, oh, these poor, stupid people, like they don't know how to live. They don't know how to deal with climate change and population. So we'll just take care of it for them. Oh, they're unhappy. Well, that's okay. They'll get over it. I would add a layer to that. I think <clears throat> I do believe, and I have witnessed this psychology where it you start with that and then you layer onto that because I'm so good and smart and I can think things through. Um, I need the money and ability to go to French Laundry because I really have the weight of right. the world on my yeah. shoulders. And that's how, I mean, I really think that's the way it is because I have, I have had the occasion, not in a very long time, but when I was younger, as an investment banker and I, whatever, had opportunities to be at fundraisers and places with quite like rich people. And mm-hmm. there was definitely a sense, uh, especially uh, Europeans, I have to say, I found that there was a, an elite attitude about, yes. and, I, and I, I've heard that, what's it like, um, dominionists or something have a similar thing. Ted Cruz maybe is, uh, I've been associated with this, where they feel like, the money or the position is a sign of superiority, whether it's, you know, God, it's God loves you more, or I'm smarter than you, or we're a natural elite, but not the natural elite that I think Rothbard writes about where the natural elite are in the parable of the talents, you see a natural elite, but in this, in this world there, they almost use it to justify their decisions as having some kind of moral power. And I, I don't yes. even think the Pope is, you know, he, he only gets that moral um, infallibility when he speaks ex cathedra on matters of faith and morals, which almost never happens. Right. So he even knows that he's got no position, but he uses it for this, to make these decisions as if he has a right. And it's, it's, it's a scary. It's a completely different mindset. Um, than the average person. I do think that it gets malicious though, once we rebel and once, once it doesn't. So I think there's a couple of things, right? So there's covering up for incompetence and that can become malicious. Like the stupid social distancing thing. I think you had someone that was based on a child's report. I know. I, that was so ridiculous. You take a really dumb person, right? Who, who picked up a child's report and then you start pushing this thing from a child and then you're like, oh, someone catches it and they're like, this is idiotic, but we have to save face. So we'll keep doing it. I think that's evil. Yes. And I think that when, when the illogic of it, or the, if you take a person like you who can articulate this stuff, you're, you're unflappable. If you were to make a point to somebody and not be intimidated by their eliteness mm-hmm. and, you know, if they don't have answers, which they probably don't because who really challenges them? How do you, they, that will threaten them and they, they will, that does 
they do react with anger and close ranks. I mean, you can yes. even see it in the political arena yes. where, and then they, everybody makes fun of you and you know, that's yeah. the end of that. But you can, you can see the emotional reaction. I'm not a big fan of thinking it's all psychology because I do believe that when you have intergenerational wealth and power, you are going to have people who have a head start yeah. and keep, keep the secrets to, I mean, you just would trade secrets. I'm certain of it. And, yeah. and if it's family or what, so there is all that, but, but there are libertarians and there is a, a, a remnant that is becoming self-aware and there are people like you who are actually, and I think there's nothing more valuable than this. And I can't, you know, it's, it's hard to get my mind over that. I think there's nothing more valuable than fighting the laws, you know, within yes. the laws, like that's, we still have that. And if we don't, you know, another, my mom quote, if you don't use it, you lose it. You've right. got to assert it. Like the UN charter, we, we signed that. It was totally unconstitutional, but that was like, 70 years ago, you know, you, you have to assert the, your rights and you have to exercise those laws. You have to continually, um, identify what they really mean. You know, you have to make sure that you get to the precedent setting before somebody else does, who's going to misconstrue it and send it off into the wrong direction. So I wonder how people can, uh, help you, you know, a, a kind of a three way thing, help you specifically on things you're working on help you um, kind of achieve your uh, goal of the LNC chair, because I think that is in desperate need of someone with integrity and intelligence like you do. And then, um, you know, even more generally, whether it's philosophical or organizational, um, people who can't, maybe don't live in LA or aren't going to really be able to help you in any way, have hope or make a little bit of a difference? What would maybe be one thing they could do? So one thing you can do is you can learn to organize single issue coalition campaigns and get active in your community. So yeah, LA is a huge sprawling metropolis. There's 4 million plus people in the city, 11 and a half million in the county. But there are other places in the world that, where it's very small. You know, there's a few thousand people. You go to a city council meeting, you can make a huge difference. So just go to a local thing. Don't even bother with national politics. Just get involved to protect where you live, you know, your home. Um, and I have some really good resources on single issue coalition activism and how to actually coalesce people around an issue and drive them towards a real objective to make that thing possible and bring it into reality. And you can get that stuff on my, my uh, Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash Angela McArdle. And that's definitely also a way that you can support my um, LNC chair race, because I do a tremendous amount of traveling. I'm gone almost every weekend, every single weekend uh, this spring. And it is a lot of work, but it's incredibly rewarding. And that's one of the tools that we're going to use to get this message out. We're not going to have to worry so much about inside baseball, LP drama and that sort yeah. of stuff. We're just going to use this national party to be an incredible message for uh, a vehicle for our liberty messaging and resources. How can people, so you also have a sub stack that has good um, materials on it. Yes, so I do. Put that way. Um, how could people follow, keep track of you if you're going someplace where they are and maybe want to oh. meet you? Yeah, so all of my campaign appearances are on AngelaMcArdle.com. There's a list of all of the state conventions that I'll be at. And when I have local speaking engagements, I put those on too. 
Okay. And I'm going to attach in the show notes, all of those links, but also your brand. I think it was inaugurated today, your campaign ad. Yes. Which is awesome. I love it. Thank Very you. professionally done. So that was Dan Smots, right? Who yes, that's right. Looking forward, looking forward to having him do stuff for us at the national level once in a while. Oh, that's so great. Well, he probably needs contributions too, but I think yeah. that if we direct people to the Patreon, to your Substack, to AngelaMcArdle.com, I'm going to put up your ad. And also I'm going to put in there a MedicalFreedomLA.com yes. for people who live in LA. Yes. Because it would be good to get all those signatures. And even if you just get the signatures, that in itself, I think, is um, <clears throat> sends a big signal. And yes. I really think it's important for us to show it would be better to say you were going to lose that referendum and that's why you backed down. Yes, that's right. So awesome. I am. I, I know you are so busy and I can just imagine that you don't always have time to just slow down and have a chat. But I really appreciate it. It was an idea from a tweet. It was popular demand that uh, led to this conversation. And I've been looking forward to it. Really appreciate it. And great luck to you. And let's, anytime you have a call to action, let me know. We'll circle up again. And I'm sure I'll see you at one of these events. Thank you. Yes. 